Hey Harvest, Pastor Cal here. Do me a favor, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew 4. And I really hope you're doing well and entering this new fall season. I hope it's off to a good start. And uh, we are actually off to a new start in our church in the sense that we are starting a brand new sermon series that's really gonna take us all year. And it's something that we're really excited about. The series is called The Way, The Truth, and The Life. And what we're going to do over the next year is really set our eyes and hearts on Jesus Christ. We're going to be studying the life and ministry of Jesus, kind of looking at all three years of his earthly ministry. And we're not gonna just be in one book of the Bible, but we're gonna jump around a little bit, kind of following his ministry chronologically. And here's what I would say. Um, I think in this season, in this time, what better place to have our eyes and hearts focused than on Jesus himself, right? There's a lot of places we could look in our lives that make us feel discouraged or distracted. And so we as a church, we really want our eyes to be on Christ. And I'm excited about what he's going to do. And um, I actually have a ton to jump into this morning. This passage we're gonna look at in Matthew 4 is a very famous passage, but there's a ton to jump into. So let's just get going. Matthew 4, starting at verse one, follow along as I read. It says this, it says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. All right, so if you know the backdrop to this story, Jesus has just been baptized by his cousin, John. And after Jesus is baptized, it says that he comes out of the water and it says the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove and a voice from heaven speaks. God, the father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. God himself is announcing Jesus as the Messiah. And rather than using this moment as a catalyst to build a following, like if I was Jesus's publicist, I would have been like, Jesus, all right, let's go to Jerusalem. I have your slogan, it's Jesus 2020. And then in quotation marks, God literally just said, I'm proud of you, right? right? Like I would have used this to be like, all right, let's gain a following, let's go to the city, let, 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 let's get going. Jesus doesn't do that. He retreats into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to fast, being led by God's spirit. So here's what I would say. If Jesus found it so important to fast before he did anything else, you and I need to take a moment and talk about what is fasting? Why did Jesus do it? And, and why is it such a forgotten principle in our culture? So the first thing I wanna look at is fasting. And I'm calling it this morning, a forgotten power. Here's what David Mathis, a pastor and author says about fasting. He defines it this way. Fasting is a desperate measure in desperate times among those who know themselves to be desperate for God. Fasting is when you and I are so desperate for God that we lay aside a comfort for a season to pursue greater intimacy and relationship with God. And I wanna talk about a couple ground rules when it comes to fasting so we all understand. Um, biblical fasting always centers around food. Biblical fasting centers around food. Um, in America, it's popular to kind of fast from all sorts of different things. Like I've heard people say, all right, for Lent, I'm going to fast from coffee and I'm not gonna drink coffee for a certain amount of time, or I'm gonna fast from social media, or I'm gonna fast from Netflix. I've even actually heard someone say, yeah, I'm fasting right now from buying shoes on Amazon right? Which raises like a whole bunch of other questions that are concerning. But, but we kind of say fasting is getting rid of anything that we might like or bring us comfort. But in the Bible, fasting was centered around food. To fast was to go a certain amount of time without eating. 
And here's why that is. Food is the great equalizer, isn't it? Like we all need food and feel the effects of being hungry. I don't care if you're male or female, big or small, um, athletic or artist. I don't care if you're extrovert or introvert, what number on the Enneagram you are. All of us feel deeply the effects of when we go without eating. And the idea behind fasting is, is that when our body feels hunger, and that desperation for food, it serves as a reminder to our souls how desperate we are for God, right? The psalmist writes, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs after you. And when we go without food, we're saying, God, we are so desperate for you that we want to physically be reminded of our spiritual need. It's an active pursuit of God. And it's funny, isn't it? Like so often, especially in our culture, don't we run to food so often to comfort us from pain? Like I was talking with my wife about it this week, Mary, and she said, yeah, it's so funny. Like it's so standard that when I'm texting with a friend and someone's going through a difficult time or has had a bad day, like I'll just say, no girl, just go eat your feelings, right? We joke about, man, if you're feeling stressed, if you're feeling hurt, just go eat. That will make everything feel better. And we try to comfort each other with food. I remember um, about 10 years or so ago when my wife and I were living in Florida and we went through a miscarriage and uh, people in our church found out that we were going through this trial. And all of a sudden people just started showing up and everyone was bringing us cakes. Like I had 17 different women in the space of like three days at church show up with a cake. Like we could have opened up a bakery out of our home because people, they wanted to show us that they loved us, that they cared, they knew we were suffering. So like, all right, I'll bring them food and that will help. And that's not wrong. Like even still, Mary and I, if we um, know of a family in our church that's hurting, we'll send them over a dinner and care for them that way. But it's interesting how so often when we're feeling emotional pain or spiritual pain, we can run to food to cover that pain. And what fasting is saying is, no, 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 I'm going to set that aside so that I can um, expose what's going on in my heart and and spiritually and bring that before the Lord. Here's the other thing you need to know about fasting. Fasting is always centered around prayer. Prayer and fasting walk hand in hand in the Bible. Just like you can't separate the bread and the wine in communion, you can't separate fasting with prayer. It was always a spiritual pursuit that was tied with prayer. You know, there's this new trend in the church where people have looked at the science behind fasting and they're like, oh man, it's actually really healthy to fast. And it's a great way to restart your metabolism. And there's actually even these new diets. There's the Daniel diet where it's like, hey, let's go do these fasts from the Bible, but you're doing it to to make yourself healthy or or to reset your metabolism. And here's what I would say. If the reason you're fasting is for um, physical reasons, you're doing it wrong. Fasting in the Bible, and listen, I believe that the science is probably good and there are some health benefits from fasting, but fasting was a spiritual pursuit to increase your relationship and intimacy with God. It wasn't about the health benefits. So what was the purpose of fasting? I wanna talk about that for a moment. Here's the purpose of fasting. It's very, very simple. The first purpose of fasting is to increase intimacy with God is to have increased intimacy with God. When we set aside food, we're saying, God, I'm pursuing you in a way that is costing me something that is intentional because I want more of you. 
You know, it's interesting for, you know, 10 years I've been a pastor at this church and I have had hundreds of conversations that go the same way. And it's this, man, I just feel far away from God right now. And man, my spiritual life, I'm just kind of going through the motions. I feel like I'm in a rut and I know I love God and I know he's real, but man, he seems distant. Can I ask you a question? Is that maybe even how you feel right now? Like, where would you say your relationship with the Lord is? Is it on fire? Is it passionate? Or does he feel distant? Is he been pushed to the side? Because if that's how you feel, the best thing you can do is to fast and to pray and ask God to renew your heart and your mind and your soul. And I promise you, if you fast and if you seek the Lord and if you go for a few days without eating to pursue God, he's going to reveal what's going on in your heart that's causing that separation. Maybe there's a sin issue you're not even aware of. Maybe there's a heart attitude that that's not what God would have for you. But if you're at a place where you're in a dry season, one of the best things you can do to kickstart your walk with God is to pursue him through fasting and prayer. Watch what the Lord does. A pastor named Jensen Franklin says this. He says, God is attracted to weakness. He cannot resist when we humbly and honestly admit how desperately we need him. When we are empty vessels, he longs to fill us with his grace, love, and goodness. This is God's law of attraction. God will show up when we empty ourselves to to show him, God, I love you and I need you and I'm desperate for you to do something in my heart. Here's the second reason we fast is we are looking for supernatural breakthrough. Supernatural breakthrough. There's this really interesting story in uh, Mark 9. And here's the story. Jesus is um, up on the mountain with his three closest disciples. And he is up on the mountain and his other disciples, they stay in the village and they're doing ministry. And what they're doing is, is they're going around and casting out demons. And the disciples, they've done this before and they've been successful, but this village that they're in, they have this boy that comes to him and he is possessed by a demon. And no matter what the disciples do, no matter how hard they try, this demon will not leave this boy alone. And finally, Jesus comes down from the mountain and the disciples are frustrated and they bring this boy to Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, there's nothing we can do. This demon is too powerful. And so Jesus um, prays and he rebukes the demon and and the demon flees and and the boy is healed of this affliction. And afterwards, the disciples, they go to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, what the heck? Like, Like, we've been able to do this all of the time. We couldn't help this boy at all. Why was that? And Jesus' answer in Mark 9 is interesting. He says, this type of demon can only be released through prayer and fasting. Isn't that interesting? And what what Jesus is doing is is he's peeling back the curtain a little bit of the heavenly economy. And I don't um, pretend to understand perfectly how it works, but what Jesus is saying is that there is a certain power that we have access to through prayer or fasting that we can't get in just our own effort. He says, it doesn't matter how hard you guys would have worked. You couldn't have done anything in your own power to help this boy. Only prayer and fasting was going to help this child. The second reason we fast church is because we are coming to God desperate for God to do something that only he can do, right? So what are the things in your life that only God can do? Maybe you have a child who is far from the Lord and he's living in rebellion and you're like, I can't do anything to save my child, but God, you can. 
So I'm gonna come to you and I'm going to fast and pray and ask that you supernaturally break through that kid's heart. Maybe it's wisdom on a job decision. Maybe, you know, I've talked with people that they're like, I've got this job offer and we don't know what to do. We don't have peace, right? Ask for God to give you peace. Go to him, fast and pray. Maybe your marriage is in a hard spot and you're at the end of your rope and you're like, God, I've tried. I've done everything I can. I need you to move. I'm going to seek you for breakthrough. Maybe it's a revival in our country or even in our church. God, I wanna see you do a new work in our nation. And that's gotta be something of you, God. So I'm gonna fast and pray. Maybe you have a pattern of sin, right? Maybe there's this sin issue in your life that has controlled you for years and years and years, and you are desperate to see those patterns break. Well, rather than keep trying the same things in your own effort, Maybe we need to go to the Lord and maybe you go with friends and people in your small group in fasting and prayer to see that God might not have victory over that sin. So can I ask you this question, church? If the Bible says that prayer and fasting are are such a powerful thing, and by the way, in the early church, we see prayer and fasting as a regular rhythm in the Christian life. Paul, when he would leave to go on a missionary journey, he wouldn't go before praying and fasting. When churches would appoint elders, they would pray and they would fast and they would lay hands over these men and they wouldn't do it without fasting. When Paul left a church, the people would pray and fast for him. It was a natural part of the Christian life. Why have we as American Christians by and large abandoned this discipline, right? I have, um, again, um, pastored here for a long time. I have had thousands and thousands of conversations with all of you. Um, I haven't talked with anyone um, or, or very, very few people where fasting is a normal and regular pursuit in their life as they build their relationship with God. Why is that church? And, and here's why I think that is, and it's not fun to hear, but I think it's true. I think by and large, we believed the American lie that we are self, self-sufficient and we don't actually have to be desperate for God. I mean, think about it. We are more free than any other group of Christians in church history. We have more resources available to us than at any other time. I have got blogs I can read. I've got books I can read. I've got sermons I can watch online. I've got anything that I could want to to grow spiritually, I can get online. Like it's so available. Um, We are more uh, wealthy. We are more affluent. Life is easy for us. And I think we believe the lie that we are in control, that we are self-sufficient and we don't actually need to be desperate for God. Again, fasting is a desperate measure by desperate people who know themselves to be desperate for God. It's a devastating lie that we believe. John Tyson, in his book, Beautiful Resistance, he writes this on fasting. He says this, he said, I asked a friend of mine who belongs to the persecuted church what he thinks about the Western church and his answer has always haunted me. My friend answered, so much food, so little power. So here's the point I'm trying to make, church. If Jesus saw it so important, if God led Jesus into the wilderness to fast for 40 days, he thought it was that vital to Christ's ministry. What are the things in our life that we might be sacrificing seeing God do because we're not desperate for him and we haven't built in the discipline of fasting? It's been a hugely convicting idea for me this week. 
What would it look like if we were more desperate for God in our life and we practice that out through the way that God gives us in his word through prayer and fasting? All right, look at verse three. It says this, it says, and the tempter came to him and said this, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command the angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. All right, so in verse three, now we see Satan show up and Satan does what Satan loves to do. And he begins to tempt Jesus. And we see Jesus go through these temptations. And the first one is very simple. Look at verse three. It says, and the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these these stones to become loaves of bread. All right, and here's what you need to understand about temptation. Satan has a very um, simple strategy when it comes to temptation and it's two steps. Here they are. The first is Satan wants you to make everything about yourself and Satan wants you to shortcut the process of following God. And this is exactly what he's doing to Jesus. He's like, all right, Jesus, if you're really the son of God, if you've really created the whole universe, how easy would it be for you to just turn these rocks into loaves of bread? It wouldn't be difficult at all. You're obviously hungry. You've gone 40 days without eating. You need to understand, Satan is a narcissist and he loves when his disciples become narcissists. He's saying, Jesus, get your eyes off God put your eyes on your stomach, you're hungry. God led you into the wilderness. Does he really love you? Is he really good? Because following him, look, you're tired, you're weak, you're wandering around in the wilderness. Just use your powers selfishly. Life will go way better for you. He's putting God to the test. He's saying, man, if God really loved you, if he was really good, if following his plan was best, Why would he have you in this situation? He does the same thing with the second temptation. He says, go to Jerusalem, jump off the temple mount. God promises that not a bone of yours will be broken. So if you jump off, he will send angels to catch you and everyone will see who you are. Your ministry will be way easier. You'll be popular. You don't have to go through the process of suffering and following God and being patient. You can have it all right now. And then finally, I think in the strongest temptation, he says, Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. I will give you the hearts of everyone on the earth. I will give you all of the nations. All you have to do is bow to me. You can miss the suffering. You can miss the being lied about. You can miss the death. You can miss out on all of it. Shortcut God's plan for you. Do what's easy. Make the selfish choice right now and everything will be way better. He's trying to to get Jesus, to get his eyes off God, focus on himself. And by the way, isn't that exactly what Satan does when he tempts us? Tries to make us selfish, only think about us. And he tries to get us to shortcut the process of following God. I mean, think about the different ways we're tempted, right? We're tempted financially, right? 
And maybe you're in a place right now where you're not happy, where God has you financially. And isn't there this temptation? Well, I'm gonna shortcut the process. I'm gonna lie a little bit. I'm gonna cheat on my taxes. I'm gonna cut corners. I'm going to be dishonest at my workplace. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to that next financial level. Rather than trusting God and rather than being grateful for what he's provided for me and rather being content with what he's given me, I wanna make this about myself. I wanna shortcut the process. I I don't wanna honor the Lord when it comes to to my financial responsibility. I'm gonna go into way too much debt that that I can't afford to to make it look like I, I got more than I have. It's a real temptation. I think another huge temptation this plays out is sexually. Right, I think about um, just how heartbreaking it is, church, how many men in our church whose lives are completely ruled and controlled by pornography, right? And what is the temptation of pornography? Hey, listen, you don't need to honor God with your sexuality. You can have whatever you want, any image you want on your own terms, in your own timing, make it all about yourself right? That God has given us how how sex is to work in the context of marriage. And and listen, you don't need to follow that. You can do it on your own terms. You can shortcut the process. And and what happens is um, people are becoming addicted. Brains are actually being rewired. They're devastating families. And it's like, man, it is going to be years and years and years of recovery from this because rather than trusting God, you've shortcutted the process. You've made it about yourself. You've believed this lie that it would be better for you in the moment not to follow the Lord, but to do what you wanna do. I think what's equally heartbreaking and as a youth pastor and someone who works a lot with our young people, I feel this, man, I've seen so many young girls who who just have believed the lie that I am nothing if I'm not married. And, And as they get older, they feel this pressure mount more and more. And so what happens over and over again, they settle for guys who don't know the Lord, who don't love them well, who who aren't going to lead them in a way that honors the Lord. And they're like, yeah, yeah, but I, I just, I need to have this relationship. And that if I don't feel the love of this person, man, my whole life is gonna be ruined and I'm getting too old and no one's going to love me. And it's like, no, 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 God loves you. And he's with you. And he's given you everything you need. Don't shortcut the process. Go to him fast and pray, ask that he would provide the right person. But so often I see young women abandon um, what they say they want and what they say they believe because they want the immediacy of a relationship and they don't care who it's with. It's a real temptation. I think even relationally, right? When we have conflict with one another, there's this temptation rather than forgiving and showing grace and working through it and doing the hard work to restore the relationship. Isn't there this this temptation to shortcut the process and just cancel that person? And I'm not gonna talk to them until they apologize to me. And and I don't need them in my life anyways. And I just need to surround myself with more affirming voices and positive voices. And anyone who would be frustrating or cause tension in my life, I'm just going to push them to the side. Now, the problem is, is that's not the kind of love that Jesus calls us to. But there's this temptation when things get hard to shortcut the process and just get bitter or give the silent treatment or walk away, right? It's these same temptations that Jesus is battling, we battle, make everything about ourselves and shortcut the process. What Satan is asking Jesus is this fundamental question. Does God really see you? Is he really good? 
And is following him really the best course of action for your life? And these are the exact same things he asks us. But look what Jesus says in verse four. I love this. It says, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So every time that Satan tempts Jesus, Jesus responds back to him with scripture. And I love verse four because what Jesus is saying is, listen, um, it is not food that is the ultimate thing that's going to sustain my life. It is God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what Jesus is saying is, I would rather trust God, even if he leads me to the desert without food, than to shortcut the process, not follow him, and to fall for your temptation. Jesus refuses to falter. And eventually Satan just gives up and he leaves defeated because even in his weakness and even in his hunger, there is a resolve in Jesus that I know that God is good. I know that he's in control. I know that he loves me and I'm not going to shortcut what God wants for me. And there's something that you need to understand about Matthew 4, because what I want you to see is, is there's something bigger going on in Matthew 4 than just Jesus being in the wilderness, being tempted. And what we're seeing here is actually a beautiful gospel picture. And here's what I need you to understand. You need to remember that the book of Matthew, it's written to a Jewish audience. So I want you to think of the story of Jesus up to this point. Jesus gets baptized, he passes through water, and then he is led by God into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Does that remind you of another story in the Bible? Right, and I think if you're tracking with me, you're thinking of the people of Israel in Exodus, right? They pass through water, they part, you know, God parts the Red Sea, they pass through it, they're freed from their enemies. And then God leads them through a pillar of cloud during the day and fire at night. He leads them into the wilderness where they wander for 40 years. But here's what you need to understand. You see the Jewish people, when they think of the wilderness, it's a picture of their failure. Because when the Jews were in the wilderness, they grumbled and complained when they were hungry. They worshiped idols. They didn't follow God. They constantly were rebelling against God's law and against God's leadership and against Moses. The wilderness was a disaster for the people of Israel. And what the writer in Matthew 4 is showing us is he's showing us that exactly where Israel failed in following God, Jesus was succeeding that Jesus passed through water, just like the people of Israel. He was led by God into the wilderness, just like the people of Israel, but he withstood temptation. He remained faithful. And what that is showing us is that, listen, our hope for salvation was never about our righteousness. It's never been about our ability to, to resist temptation perfectly. And we know by faith that Jesus has already accomplished that for us. So here's what I want you to see. Jesus is in the wilderness fighting and battling and going to war with Satan himself. And why is he doing that? He's doing it for you and he's doing it for me. See, Jesus knew if he would have faltered, if he would have yielded to temptation, all hope of salvation would have been lost. A lot of biblical commentators believe this is the moment Satan knows it's over. When he can't get Jesus to yield to temptation in the wilderness, he knows that Jesus is going to go to the cross, defeat Satan once and for all, and that man will be reconciled to God. Jesus was in the wilderness going to war with the enemy for you and for me. 
And so here's the, the question I need to close with this morning. It's very, very simple. It's this, um, we need to answer the question, do I wanna be fathered or do I want to be fed? Right, that was the heart of the temptation. Jesus or is being asked by Satan, um, listen, you can just have the food. Shortcut the process. Don't trust your heavenly father. Don't trust where he's leading you. You can have what you want right now. And Jesus said, no, 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 I would way rather be fathered by God than be fed in the moment. And listen, the reason church that we fast and we pray and we seek God with desperation, the reason that we fight temptation, it's not to earn anything on our own. It's because Jesus fought for us. We fight for Jesus out of love because he so faithfully fought for us. And he has given us that same spirit that allows us to have victory over the sin and temptation in our life. The New Testament says that there is no temptation that has overcome you and that Jesus has experienced every temptation that we could ever experience, but he has proven himself victorious and faithful. And church, that is our hope. So no matter what season you're in, we can have confidence that we have a relationship with God through Christ. But what I wanna ask you right now is, is what temptation are you facing right now? Where in your, your life are you tempted to shortcut God's process for you? And what I would encourage you is choose to be fathered by God, choose to trust the process, choose to remain faithful because satisfaction in the moment always feels good, um, but it always leads to more pain. Let's do this, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you um, just for this day. We thank you for your word. Um, God, I'm thankful for the faithfulness of Jesus. I'm thankful that he loved us so much that when he was weak and when he was tired and he had nothing left, he was faithful to you. And he did that out of love for us. And that is such an overwhelming um, feeling. It's hard to even put into words. But God, would you help us? God, would you um, just set our hearts on fire to want more of you? Would you grow a desperation in our hearts for you? We need that, God. We confess that we're so easily comforted by other things outside of you. Would you open our eyes for our need for you? Would you give us strength to fight temptation? We love you. We need you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.